Hey everybody, it's Zach and Dustin here. We are dropping in for a very special announcement. On September 30th, we are once again having our fundraiser slash four year birthday celebration live on our YouTube page. Returning friends such as Laura San Giacomo, Matt Adler, John Philbin, Jill Sholin, so many more are gonna be coming on the show. Music performances, lots of prizes, like Blu-rays from Kino, merchandise from Listen to Turtle, exclusive items from the guests themselves. And we're gonna raise money for Momentum Wheels for Humanity once again trying to do our best to do our best. You seriously do not want to miss it. So Saturday, September 30th, 1130 to 3.30 Pacific time, set your calendars, show up, subscribe on YouTube. We love you, goodbye. Before there was imdb.com, there was Zach and Dustin. Congrats! You found $2 Late Fee, the best 80s movies podcast in the world. We revisit our favorite 80s movies. And sometimes 90s. And soundtracks from our youth. And then we interview our favorite people who help make them. All in the spirit of nostalgic positivity. Thanks for listening. It's the $2 late fee and podcasting after dark annual crossover event being highlighted today by our interview with Jimmy Reno, AKA Marshall Teague. Corey, what are your thoughts about Marshall Teague and this interview that we had with him? I thought he was super cool. Isn't it always interesting how the biggest pieces of crap in the movie character wise are always played by the nicest guys. That was my biggest takeaway from Marshall was just how incredibly nice and humble he was. Marshall Teague is like one of those guys that he he always pops up in a TV show or movie and you're like, I love that guy. And there's a reason why we see him pop up consistently over and over again. Be it werewolf or firebirds. Be it be it all those things. Yeah, Marshall <laughs> Teague's fantastic. I think if you are, are listening to this and you're very confused and you're just coming in like, oh, Marshall Teague interview, this is all Roadhouse all month, guys. So at this point, you you may be sick of Roadhouse. I don't know. Hopefully you're not. But if you haven't listened to A, our sort of overview of Roadhouse with the soundtrack, and then B, our breakdown of Roadhouse, which is part two, you should go back, listen to those. We'll, we'll uh, bring you up to speed on who Marshall Teague is. And then um, and then today, we'll, we'll, we get real deep. You hear from the man himself. Um, no, he's he's a delight. He's a delightful guest. And I'll add a C to that. If you go to our YouTube page, the $2 Late Fee YouTube channel, and subscribe to us, you can uh, watch the interview that the three of us did with Marshall on our YouTube channel. Absolutely. You don't even need to, well, I, I won't say you don't need to subscribe. You should subscribe, by all means. Um, and even further, you want to subscribe because now we have all sorts of video content. It's coming at you fast, and you want to be the first to know about it. So then you can tell your friends um, and they can be like, what are you talking about? And then you can show them. <laughs> Marshall blew me away quite a few times in this interview because he toe dipped into the fact that he recorded a record. That's right. And uh, he hasn't released it, though, but uh, we, we hope he will one day. Um, but he's a man of many talents, not just music, not just martial arts, but he was a, a police officer before uh, becoming an actor. And before that, he was in the Navy. So, you know, he, he's, a, he's a very physical guy, 
but you can tell he also has the the soul of an artist inside of him and uh he's multi-talented uh, musician actor martial arts extraordinaire and again all around nice nice dude and i think dustin once again thanks to our patrons who signed up to patreon on podcasting after dark and two dollar late fee they submitted questions to marshall teague and he answered those questions those questions will be answered next week with his segment two dollar six questions and i think once again the fans because of the fans our guest said this is like the best show that he's ever been on blah 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 right yep yep our patrons uh we can't really say it enough you guys have the best questions our questions are like what's it like being in a movie and you guys are always very specific <laughs> you're always like you always blow them away with some some remembering of a show um you know from the 80s uh, or 90s that was just you know near and dear to your heart and, and near and dear to, to our guests every single time so I am going to toot my own horn, though, because I did bring up Firebirds, and that blew his mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, Corey, you are a patron at $2 late fee. That's right. Now, actually, you know what? You're right. I'm a patron, too, so it's, it works doubly for me. For all of you faithful listeners, patrons, subscribers, et cetera, et cetera, thank you so much for all the support and uh, added assistance to these great interviews. You're going to hear it from the man himself, Marshall Teague, today's guest, and next week's guest as well for $2.06 questions. So get ready for some Roadhouse stories and a whole lot more with Marshall Teague. Throat rip sound. That is the inaccurate uh, sound of a throat ripping out. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> it's like a snare, snare drum meets a hi-hat. Enjoy. How we doing, guys? Hey, doing good. great. How are you? Great to meet you. Great to meet you guys too. It's a pleasure. So, so really quick, Marshall. Sure. Dustin is my co-host for Two Dollar Late Fee, and then Corey is my co-host for Podcasting After Dark. And this is going to be for our annual crossover episode. Uh, previously, we covered um, uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man and the Wraith, and then this year for our entire month crossover is going to be Roadhouse. Wonderful, wonderful. Have you, have you talked to any other people with Roadhouse? Not yet, but Branscombe Richmond, actually, you had posted a picture of Branscombe on an episode of Renegade that yeah, you did. Yeah, he's a great guy. And I said to myself, I bet he was involved in Roadhouse somehow. And he was. He was a part of the stunt team in Roadhouse. Yeah. <laughs> he was in the big fight, uh, I think, in the first, and you know, first bar and then on down the line. He's a great guy. Before we get into Roadhouse, though, um, I think it's you've had a pretty phenomenal career as an actor. I've you, been blessed, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you mind taking us back kind of to the inception of, of what sparked the acting bug? Uh, oh, oh. What, starts, what's, what started the acting bug? That's an interesting situation. I was a cop in Memphis. I was the deputy sheriff in Memphis. And... Uh, you know, I had certain jobs that I was being given, and one of them was uh, a little dark, let's put it that way. And I just thought, you know what, I don't want to really get shot. You know, I don't really want to get stabbed anymore. So I'll study acting. Maybe that'll get me out of it, you know. So I studied <laughs> acting and, uh, you know, and um, went to, you know, Memphis Little Theater, worked diligently 
by the way, to keep it out of the ears of anybody that I was working with, you know, especially <laughs> my partners and that kind of stuff. And, um, well, needless to say, one night they found me out. A friend of mine was covering for a guy whose wife was having a baby, and I was doing uh, Shakespeare in the round, believe it or not, you know. <laughs> yes. Wow. And, I, and I am not really good. At, I wasn't really good at that, believe it or not. I was a lot bigger than I am now, but I I was playing puck. And if you can imagine a 215-pound guy who lifted weights five days a week running across the stage <laughs> in green tights, that, that was a, that was a, I'm just so happy they didn't have the phones they have today. Right. Back then, because had, had they been back then, I would have been ruined. I would have <laughs> never made it to Hollywood. You know, they would have just said, no way, man. I did the role. Uh, my partner was writing and he, you know, they just said, let's go down and check out this group down here. We see a bunch of lights and stuff. We walked down there and uh, about the time I entered, I was, came in stage right, you know, and just entered pounding across the ground there and uh, was trying to do, um, <laughs> well, let's just put it, it's an English accent with a Southern draw at the time. And, uh, so it sounded like uh, Kevin Costner then. Pretty <laughs> yes. much, yes. Yeah, pretty much like Kevin. And my partner in the back, uh, well, the guy he was riding with said, you know, you're not kidding me, that guy is crazy. He said, you ought to ride with the son of a bitch. <laughs> so that started and I came to Hollywood and um, I packed my truck and I had everything I had in my, in my life was in that truck. I wow. put in Bob Seger and I drove to Los Angeles. Nice. <laughs> through the worst snowstorm that the Midwest had ever seen. Oh, man. At the time. Wow. Changed Holy since then. had a lot of them since then. But at the time I came out, it was... Uh, it was theoretically the worst snowstorm, ice storm across the United States. Oof. What, what it, Bob Seger were you listening to, by the way? Oh, man, Hollywood Nights. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Slapping in. I said, Holly, every time I would get drowsy, I'd say, okay, something to pick me up. I'd hit Hollywood Nights. He'd wake me back up, and I would just keep driving, you know. I didn't want to stop in that snowstorm. Yeah. The worst yeah. thing you can do is stop. Yeah, no, you know, no doubt. You, you get to some whatever you can find that has a light says rooms to rent, you know, or you know, stay overnight or stay by the hour, whatever it was, and you go in and you grab a room, you know. But uh, I went out wow. and that was it. I mean, I went out and when I got to Hollywood, I looked around and paid the um, I paid the custodian of the Howard Johnson's now, or it was the Howard Johnson at the time, Beverly Garland Hotel. I paid him off in Jack Daniels and beer. And he, he put up a cot in the in the mop room, and I slept in there. Wow! For about a week or so until I could find a place. And then it started. That's that's how I got started. Anyway, everybody's got a story. Hollywood. As many actors are there, you know, every one of them have a story of how I got to Hollywood. And, and you know, some of them are pretty pretty nuts. You know, pretty nuts. Some of them just walk into it. You know. Hey, I'm here. And they go, Hey, where have you been? Let's put you in this movie. Well, that wasn't the case for Marshall. <laughs> and some people have to drive through a snowstorm and uh, sleep on a cot. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. All that kind of stuff. They, they thought I was a little raw, shall we say, to start out with, you know? Uh, and I think that's how it, you know, I started out playing a lot of bad guys and, uh, and still do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still play bad guys. I love playing. 
uh, I just play them with a different flair now, you know, you know, like Jimmy was a different flair, needless to say. <laughs> Do you like, are there any um, bad guy roles that you look at for an inspiration or maybe better, a better question is any perps that, you know, you encountered back in your days as an officer? Um, did you like sort of draw from, from those cast of characters? I would rather go there than I would taking from people that, I know are playing a role because I, I watch them, you know, and a lot of them I can sit there and go, he doesn't believe what he's doing. Yeah. And I don't think anybody can say, I don't believe what I'm doing when I play the characters. And I take that from people that I have known either in the military or when I was a cop or whatever. And I take it to where my head was at the time. And then I just go back and I find the little pieces and I just weave them together and make the characters. It's, it's a different way. How it, long were you a cop for? I was a cop for uh, four years, four, four, a little over four years. Wow. You know, and I got uh, a couple of times uh, wrong place, wrong time, and uh, came away with a little extra weight on me. They fixed me up. I went back to work, you know, that usual thing. Same thing in the military. You know, you yeah. pick up some parts that you didn't have before. You were in the Navy right before uh, uh, being an officer. My stepmom was a dental hygienist at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, so I oh right, she was. She was I grew up around there. Wow, she was she was in the big land. She was where my officers and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have you ever had a chance to to visit the Naval Academy have, over there? I have, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's, really, it's, it's a beautiful. Beautiful. watching the young people there. You know, yeah. they walk around. Uh, you know. Uh, they don't know me, don't know that I was, but I get a chance to watch them. And, and it's, it's pretty, it's very impressive to me. Yeah. I mean, they've had some things happen, like all the academies, all, every college that's out there has had something, you know, happen. But uh, I must say there's very little, very little that happens that uh, they don't take care of. Yeah. And yeah. It's wrong. It's wrong. And, and if they catch you and it's really wrong, well, you're really going to pay for it. Yeah, we've got a few few family members went through there, so we're, we're I'm a Navy family, so go Navy. Good, good, thank you. <laughs> Are you blown away though? Because I, I talked to my dad about this as well. Are you blown away by the the advancement of technology in the Navy? How when you were a kid in the Navy, how Are much you changed? Serious with that question? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, we were diving with two tanks and two huge hoses that met in the middle and they're just rudimentary the suits we had were sure. terrible but we thought they were great yeah i mean the i mean they're swimming dragers right now and sdvs so, you know sealed delivery vehicles and gosh what they have today the shoots they have today yeah. compared to what we had back in the time i mean i look at it and i just i am amazed truly truly amazed at you know the weaponry i don't know what to say they get the latest and the greatest it's crazy yeah it is it truly is i mean they they deserve it yeah. i mean i think that the, all the people that serve today are top notch i mean i never miss a day that i don't when i say my prayers i don't thank them mm -hmm. for their service and i wish other people did or yeah. hopefully they do yeah. But no, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, very 
impressed with how they do their business. You know, I really am. Uh, I have no complaints, really. None whatsoever. Well, thank you, obviously, for your service. And You're more than welcome. In the military and in the on the force. Uh, and glad you're hmm. here with us, you surviving and, and looking good. <laughs> I, I just want to. It's a it's a rough segue, but uh, I had sent a clip to the guys before we went online uh, of you as a Mace Petty from uh, First and Ten. You bet, yeah. <laughs> and you're playing a song in that in this episode in this clip that I sent them. Um, I have a very warm place in my heart for that television series. I thought it was a really kind of ahead of its time in a way. Oh, very much so. Very much so. We were the first series that had that different flair that was on yeah. uh, HBO. I mean, we were the first that had the difference. And people, some people liked it, some people didn't. But that's, you know, that was because it was so new. Delta Burke working with Delta. I love Delta. Love Delta. She's such a class act. Yeah. I mean, truly a class act. And she's married to a class act. So. Mm -hmm. That's right. And Gerald McCraney, right? Absolutely. That's I think they live in Florida now. They finally got their place in Florida. And they are happy as two squirrels in the nest. You know, they're just, they talk <laughs> about their back porch. They talk about the water. And they tell me, and we've got a gator, and he sits out there in the lake, and I'm sitting there going, well, you know, those little dogs of yours, you make sure you know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just to back it up for a second, you, sure. you arrive in Hollywood. Uh -huh. Your resume has some Memphis community theater, a little Shakespeare. Yes, sir. Uh, what, how hard was it to really establish yourself, get an agent, and start going out for the roles that you wanted to go out for? That's a very interesting question. It was exceedingly difficult at first. I went around to people. I studied. I, uh, there was a, a teacher out there that I started with. Her name was Estelle Harden. And uh, I started with her. Matter of fact, Chuck Norris started with her. You know, she's been around, she was around for a long time. And I knocked on the doors and asked them, you know, hey, I'm new in town. This is my, do you have any eight by tens? I'm working on that. Do you have a resume? And I'm working on that. Well, as soon as you get those things, come back and see it. It was a lot of that <laughs> until I met Betty right. McCart. Betty McCart was the agent for uh, Tom Selleck forever. I mean, she was, mm -hmm. I, I think she was agent for him for 25, 30 years until she obviously passed away. God rest her soul. But she was a great lady. And I just, I asked her and she basically said no, but I knew there was something there. I mean, she knew me, she liked me, and no problem, there wasn't any question there. I was, I was doing work in Bel Air where I was bodyguarding different people, you know, uh, celebrities, uh, people, um, you know, just let's just say people that had a lot more money than I did. But I, I took care of them, and I, and Tom, I met Tom, you know, through friends and neighbors and invited, and I met Betty, and I, we met several times, and I kept asking her, and she said, Marshall, I love you. You're a sweet guy, but no, you just don't have what it takes. You mm. don't have the stuff yet. And then she came home one day and I had a tent pitched in her front yard. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. No, you didn't. <laughs> I pitched a tent in her front what? yard. What? Really? People that drove by her house thought it was a little bit crazy or she had grandchildren over there. 
Oh, you know, man. but there was this grown man that kept <laughs> sitting outside in a chair with a little stove because I I survived on that little stove, <laughs> cooking his wow. meals. You know that you could buy. You know what I'm talking about—the dehydrated meals where you do the water and you eat and that kind of yeah. stuff. She came home one night, you know, and she looked at me and she said, "Marshall, what 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 are you doing on my front yard?" And I said, "Well, Betty, <laughs> it's funny you should." I'm glad you noticed me here. <laughs> it's kind of hard not to. He says, what, what are you doing? I said, I thought I would come here and prove to you that I have what it takes because I really want you to be my agent. And she laughed and she she said, whatever, okay, I'm, I'm going to the house. You do what you, you know. You know and I, oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I slept there all night. And I was up the next morning when she came out. I'd made my coffee. I was drinking a cup of coffee and, you know <laughs> oh, oh cowboy stuff you know but she, she said you're serious i says yes ma'am i am serious she says my god you're also nuts i said yes ma'am i'm nuts too she said would you show go, go home or go wherever you have get on some clean clothes please come by the office you're signed and by the way, take your tent. <laughs> <laughs> that was that, that was my first agent, and uh, and of course, it's, I I was with her for a long time, and then obviously, you know, they come up and they say, you know, look, we've done all we can do, you know, we, you know, find somebody else or whatever, and that's just normal. I mean, that happens all over, and you move on to your next agent, and your next agent, and your next agent. So you move along until you find a place you call home. And you call it home, but uh, that's how that's how the process works. I never wow. knew that. So you sort of plateau with. Sometimes you can plateau with an agent. And well, that's kind of what it is. I mean, they they'll send you out for. They get an idea of what you are, and it's and it agents are like casting directors. I mean, they're they really have kind of a short vision. In some cases, there are some people they don't have. I mean, there are people that come in there that are oh yes and this and oh this and oh that. And, they do, they do the soliloquy of whatever. And uh, I couldn't do that at the time. Yes, I could do it now. But uh, I, I, didn't, I couldn't do it then. So, yes, you do. They, they send you out for as much as they can send you out for. And they take all the, and I, I didn't bug them. You know, there's a lot of actors that will bug their agent, you know, and say, what do you got? Anything new? I would call in occasionally and ask him. I said, you know, I'm not bugging you, just asking. And it would get to a point they really didn't have anything. So, you know, they pat you on the butt and say, going down the road, you do. I've been very blessed, though. You said I had a, a good career, and I have had a great career. I'm doing another, I've got another movie I'm starting in October, you know, and it's it's called Delivery Fee. It'll be a fun, it's a fun movie, and it's my first comedy movie. Yay, yay. Hey, that's cool. great. <laughs> you know, I've, I've played a lot of serious roles and not so serious, you know, I've, but I've played, a, you know, I, now I can sit there and say I have played a spectrum of characters, which I'm very pleased with. Yes, you have. Um, first, uh, what, I think I've got some notes here myself because I can't remember them all. Uh, first, yeah, really, that's okay. I, can't, I really we'll, can't remember. We're, we're happy to you help said too. I have quite a, a selection of shows on my resume, and I do to the point I can't remember them all. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did you expect us to bring up first? No, and ten? I, I did not. You, you did. actually got me on that one. Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, I don't know if people know what the character was, but his character was name was Mace Petty. The character I played was a streaker. He had a thing about every once in a while just dropping his drawers and running across somewhere naked. That TV show was kind of that that kind of show, and we were playing with real football yeah. players. The, I mean, when they, they hit sure you, were. you knew you were hit <laughs> big time. Mm -hmm. Right. Luckily, I was not a. Yep. I was not necessarily a small person. And I knew the guys, you know, uh, one of them, I think you guys know, Tiny Zester, he's passed away now, but he yeah. was a great guy. He was yeah. a great yep. guy. But uh, for instance, first time we're talking about the first time you get the, the, the woman. Well, that was on Hunter, I believe. And that's a long time ago. Oh, 18, I got the girl in that one. And, you know, there were several others along the way. And it, that's the changes you were talking about. In keeping with, you know, sort of more of your bad guy roles sure. early on on TV, um, we are a big fan of the Werewolf TV show from Fox. We actually did, on uh, um, Podcasting After Dark, we did an entire episode on that show. Um, and we also have a fan, one of a Patreon for both Podcasting After Dark and to our LAP, David Ullman. He loves the show as well. Um, do you have any memories about working on that show? I think it was called Werewolf. Yeah, it was, yeah, Werewolf, yeah. It, and yep. the episode you were on was episode 27. Um, I actually have the French oh my DVD God. box set. Oh, my God, <laughs> look at that. You can't even, you can't no. even get it in America because there's too many licensed songs on it, so I had to order this from France. Uh, you were on you episode had to fly 27, to uh, Blind to Faith. Yeah, it costs more to ship it than to buy it. Um, uh, and you were on uh, episode Blind Faith with the yes. uh, the the blind lady. Uh, yes. You were kind of like a, a con man type of thing. Yes, but I was. I you was were great. Other... You were great in that episode. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And the guy that played the werewolf was a very handsome, wonderful guy. Yeah, yeah John were... J. York. Yeah. Yeah, and the werewolf was a badass. I mean, let's yeah. just. I think he ripped my face <laughs> off. Well, well, he well, so I, I... he ripped you. He ripped your throat out. So you got your throat ripped in, 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 in road, Roadhouse I, and Werewolf. I had a lot of work done to it over the years. <laughs> but he was he was charming. He really was a charming young man. The show was great. Uh, I played, I think, three werewolves so far. Oh, wow. Uh, I played another. I played a werewolf. Make sure I do that. Actually, I played two werewolves. One was on The People Next Door, and it was a comedy show about uh, a guy that was afraid of, he was afraid of ghosts and everything else in Halloween. And I just happened to be the <laughs> werewolf that he opened up his shower and I'm in there showering. I've got power cap on and I've got my face on all this other stuff. And that was funny. And then there was, um, there was another show and I'm trying to think of what it was. Uh, excuse me if I don't get the names right, but it, all good. I did play a werewolf in that one. I, I did the first TV morph, oh, the okay. first on TV. You know, it's interesting when an actor can look at you and say, yes, I did the first morph that was ever done on television. You know, and that's kind of an unusual thing to hear. And you really have to go back. It is. Yeah. You know, years to find that. And it was, and the lady that did, uh, the makeup for it was a lovely person uh, and did this beautiful werewolf head on me. And I got the role because they brought me in. They said, what do you know about wolves? I said, actually, I know quite a bit about wolves. 
What do you I want? showered as one. I was murdered by another. <laughs> I was showered <laughs> on. I did. This is why I had my throat, got my throat ripped out on. by one. <laughs> I got them all and got the role and played it. And it was fun. It really was. So the, the effects on this morph, obviously, were much more advanced. And when you say morph, you're talking about. Well, I can't say I can't say advanced because you had to stand as they turned you. You literally had to stand frozen because the machine worked at such a slow pace. Now they just hit a button, da, 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 boom, you're a werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Back then it was a whole thing of the slide and bringing this behind it and making the two come together and then you're a werewolf. So you're standing still for about, I mean, to do it for the machine, it took about five minutes of standing perfectly still and not moving while they did this. Then when they did the show, boom, you're a werewolf. So the process of electronically, you talked about, you know, the military of the past, the military of the future. Right. Man, you're looking at, you know, being in a cave, basically, and working with, you know, rudimentary mechanics to today where they tap two buttons and you're a werewolf. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing. Yeah. yeah. That, that kind of change that goes into making something like that. Yeah, it's 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 uh, we we always pay respect to the fact that the groundbreakers who started this stuff in the 80s and the 90s, where it was very challenging, very difficult, it might not look as good as it may today. Oh, way back when I, I go back late 70s, right? Late 70s, right. and that, you know it was late 70s, but yeah, when you see that, you're absolutely right. I, you have to sit there and pay you know homage to them because they did some amazing stuff with. Not a lot of technology. So you've really seen like the improvements of technology, on, especially on TV and stuff. I feel like TV's improved so much since it was back in the 80s and everything yeah. like that. You know, shows like War of the Worlds and stuff. You could just tell the budget was what it was. But I mean, you've seen in your in your working life the the changes that the, the industry has made over the course of time and everything. Yes, I have. I mean, the cameras they used to use back when I started were enormous. And the big right. reels that came on them. I mean, then, you know, and they got smaller. And then you went to the red. That was the first time I ever did, yep. you know, a digital show. I came up, we're doing this digital. I went, you're doing this what? <laughs> we're doing <laughs> this <know>. digital. <laughs> yeah, because with the red, they I think they finally figured out how to sort of emulate that film look, that 24 frames a second yeah. look, and not that hyper real HD look that that has no motion blur whatsoever. Yeah, that the red was a, a ground uh, a game changer. Oh, it was amazing. It was an amazing camera. The first ones uh, we did a show. We did a a novella. I guess it's a novella. Yeah. It was a. It was a. Uh, you know, it was. It was kind of. It was a. According to phrase, it was kind of cast made off of, you know, the Mexican soap operas, the novellas. And we did 65 episodes, you know, and I was, when I got the job, I was leaving for Iraq. So I told him, I said, I'm going to be out of town for about three weeks. Do you need me to ride off? I said, no, we're going to be shooting this. We can do this. He said, what if you die? I said, write me out. Get somebody else, you know, but they kept it. I flew in my third, first day. They handed me a script and here's your work for tomorrow. And the work for tomorrow was 35, 38 pages. That's what I had to do my first day back from Iraq. Yikes. Wow. So you were still in the, in the Navy when you were acting? No, I, I, went, I went over there. Um, uh, Chuck Norris and I went over there. 
no, I was out by then. I, I was, but they had, they had asked us to come once before and we were ready to go and then couldn't go because they said, no, we got a little thing going on. And that was bringing down Saddam Hussein. Little thing. And then they said, come now. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we went over then and uh, spent the time, and, uh, about three weeks we were over there and they were amazing, you know, amazing people. And in their country, they were amazing. And then came back and went to work the day I touched the ground. Wow. So was this, this was a tour to, for the troops to kind of just, you know, uh, like USO? Well, kind of it, it was kind of sponsored by the USO, but we went, uh, we flew over with the, uh, on the secretary of the Navy's plane with general, uh, you know, Magnus, uh, he was the assistant commandant to, of the Marine Corps. So we didn't wow, really go okay. with USO. We went with him, but we had a, yeah. a little USO hat we wore every once in a while. <laughs> But we, we, you know, the rules were for us, you know, we didn't go over there to entertain because Chuck and I looked terrible in a cheerleader outfit. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's kind of, but we went over to see the troops. We said, we want to go where no one has gone before. Oh boy. We want to go to the, the fobs where nobody, no political anything has gone. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to see those troops. So we ended up 17 different fobs, got shot at, okay. dropped bombs on us, whatever. <laughs> you know, went and did Poor our job, then came back, went to work. Wow. Went back to 38 pages on a walk in. Here's <laughs> dialogue. <laughs> You're just reading it the, the whole flight over, huh? You know, coming back. No, I no, I hit the ground. They handed it to me. Oh, oh, oh go, wow. Go wow. home, get scrapped. <laughs> this, this is what you do tomorrow. We're going to pick you up at 6 30. Thank you. Great. And that was shot on the red. So, you know, they had, it was a very weird setup. You had, you know, you had pieces from I don't know how many scripts in one day. It's 35 pages, but it's not all in the same script. So they would shoot everything, have the camera one direction. They would shoot that direction till they finished those pages. Then they would flip the camera over and you went back and you had to do it again from the opposite direction. Very difficult to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Was your, was your relationship with Chuck Norris, um, did you guys meet through martial arts or yes. through acting? No, it was martial okay. arts. We met through martial arts. I don't know how many years ago we figured, we have talked about it so many times and we figured we just cut it off at 45 years. <laughs> I think you do that. Aren't you supposed to do that in general? Yeah, it's just, yeah, we've known each other. We know each other. He said, let's just go to 45. We know it's that. Okay, we got it. We're good. <laughs> so we just say 45 years. But he was always, a, he was always a good man. He was a gentleman fighter. Yeah. You know, and you don't understand what a gentleman fighter is, do you? Would you please uh, explain that? Show us. For our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> he could knock you out. You know, and come over. If you went down, he'd help you up. If you didn't go down, you're up against the ropes tied up. He'd come over. Are you okay? You all right? Slapped you around a little bit. Yeah, I'm fine. He said, you want to continue? I said, when I can see one of you, yes. We'll go oh, back and man. <laughs> it's hard enough fighting one Chuck Norris, fighting exactly. two. <laughs> That's the truth yeah. about it, too. When you say, because he'll tell you, you know, Chuck's a tough guy. He's yeah. a tough guy. But, a, but, a, but always a gentleman. I will, I will say, I, I've said this before on the show, um, the first chapter book I ever read cover to cover in third grade was his autobiography. 
In fact, I still have it. And I used to put it in my back pocket when I go to concerts Ooh. and uh, pull it out in between sets. And people would say, are you reading a book about Chuck Norris? And go, yeah, it's amazing. It's my second or third time I've read this book. Yeah. Um, I've read it he, a couple of times myself. It's, it's fascinating. It's inspiring. It's all those things. Um, but there's some parallels there, right? You know, in, in the sense there that you, you guys came out together, not the same time, obviously. No, no. But, but, and then went on to work together on Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did more than any actor in Hollywood. I, I think I did nine. I, yeah. I, think, I think it was nine different episodes through the years, you know, first to the last. And then we did a movie afterwards and I was in that. And it was, it was, right. it was, it was great. It was great to do that, but to do it with your friend, I mean, the person you care about, he is your friend. Yeah. I mean, I, in Hollywood, the word friendship is a very loosely yeah. used terminology. I'm oh, sure you totally. guys know that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't call many people my friend. Right. I can say that I've had a handful, and I mean literally a handful of what I consider very close friends in Hollywood. A couple of them are dead now. You know, but they are still remain as much a part of me today as they were then. I care about them so deeply. So that's what a, a true friend means in Hollywood. Would you say that there's a connection there being a martial artist? It seems like the martial art community in Hollywood tends to be very tight. There's a camaraderie there. Yes, absolutely. I mean... It's it's not with everybody. Yeah, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> the non-gentleman. Not gonna name names, the but we gentleman fighters. <laughs> but there are a few out there. But those are dear friends of mine. I I thank the world of them. Yeah, there, not many actors can say that. They really can't. No, you have a relationship on set, and then the shoot's over, and you're done, and never see that person again. Or or you, or you go to a show or uh, an award show, and oh yeah, oh yeah, and they kiss and hug and everything else. And who was that? I don't know. Right. You know, they turn and they walk off. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, we well, you know that you've seen them do it. Yeah. I've had yeah. it happen to me. Not yeah. an award show, but. It... <laughs> I mean, it's guy? hard enough to find genuine friends in, in you know, normal life, yeah. let alone in such a unique job like acting when you're with somebody for so long and everything. I'm sure it's nice enough just to be able to work with somebody nicely let alone actually building a bond and a friendship, which also takes effort and work. And you guys are all busy. Like, you know, actors are busy people and it's a not a nine to five style job. So like actually taking the time to maintain a friendship is just as difficult as anything else. I imagine more so as an actor. I'd, I'd say without question. I can't, I can't even argue that point with you. It is very difficult, but when you find the person that means that much for you, you put in the work. They make the time. They put yeah. in the work. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it's it's yeah. it's something that's pretty cool. I want to I want to roll back a little bit to what Corey said in that you got your throat ripped out by a werewolf, and then flash forward to Roadhouse where you get your throat ripped out out by Dalton and uh, Patrick Swayze, <laughs> and and I were you. <laughs> Were you in that? Did you say this happened in Werewolf? <laughs> we Not can't again. rip off Werewolf, guys. Oh, no. <laughs> Not again. We go again. Okay. Lean your head back. Ah, that's it. <laughs> You're like, I know this feels all normal to me. I can do this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you get uh, 
good makeup artist or a good surgeon is a good you know person to fix your throat up. I mean that that, that line you know you go places people how's your throat oh they did a good job <laughs> right. When Patrick did that and we did the show you know the, um, it had to flow into the fight. Yeah, you know the fight was very tumultuous to say the least. And uh, he said, you know, we talked about it. I mean, this, I think they did that one on the, the fifth night. Oh, man. And it was, I think, the last shot of the fifth night we did that fight. I think it was the fifth night, fifth or sixth. And we were bruised all to crap. We were bruised, beat up, you name it. We were, we were that. And uh, Patrick said, I'm going to come around, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to catch you right here. Or rip your throat out and you can't and you have to spin because they already had the throat there he was going to pull it the makeup artist had put him something to get his fingers in so when he pulled back that was my throat so it all had to work at one time and the reason for that was the sun was just hitting just starting to crack you know on on the hillside it was just starting to crack we had to get that shot we had fought all night long we were beat to crap and he said, I'm going to rip your throat out. I said, go for it. Go for it, brother. Please <laughs> do it. rip my throat out and kick me in that water. It's cold, but kick me in the water and get rid of it. It looked cold. It was. I won, I won money on that, by the way. How? I won $500 Whoa. on that. <laughs> How? I'm serious. Bet you can't stay in the water for five seconds. What, what is that? exactly <laughs> what they said. No they way. Said, they said, when you hit that water, he's going to come out of that water like nobody's business. And I turned around, I looked at him and said, gentlemen, I made my living in the water. Yeah, man. <laughs> I said, when I hit that water, I'm not going to move. Amen. And the water was 43 degrees. Oh, wow. That was the temperature of that water I hit. And I laid there until they pushed me out and let me float oh. through camera. Wesley! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great scene. I'm in a unique position. I am, I'm an 80s kid, but it, Roadhouse missed me. And I watched that movie for the first time yesterday. Um, and it's a great scene. Serious? It's a, yeah, yeah. No, I know. It, it, it's, it's weird. I know, guys. Exactly. <laughs> but as a, as a 45-year-old man, I can say this movie's awesome. Like, it's awesome. And that fight scene was fantastic. What I loved was after, you know, uh, he, Dalton kills your character, like, I like how Kelly Lynch goes straight for you and not, you know, to check on her boyfriend. I thought that was really realistic and because she's a uh, doctor in it. But you were face down in that drink the entire shot when she went running by. And, and I mean, it's a full <laughs> shot. There's no cuts or anything. And to what you're saying, how cold it was, now that makes that shot even more impressive because you were just in it right. face so down. Cool. Yeah, when she yeah. rolled me over, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I couldn't go. Uh, uh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> rolled me over. She looked at me and then she got up and walked right. out and I went, <sighs> you know, like that. <laughs> but and, Absolutely. And, uh, when they cut the scene, I said, pay me. <laughs> <laughs> but also too, I mean, that scene works because your character was so believably bad yeah. during the entire movie. And and it's just, you know, I mean, like to the point where you have to accept that the good guy 
is willing to kill you. Now, of course, you know, you pulled out the gun and everything that kind of gives them that justification. But it was your selling of the badness that really kind of, I mean, your character is great. I thought he was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Did you enjoy, um, th there's a huge musical component to Roadhouse with Jeff Healy. And to the point where, you know, he is literally, he's a huge part of this film. Filming those scenes, what can you can you kind of go back in time and was that a was that fun to shoot those scenes with a live band and uh, and all that stuff? I can't even begin to tell you how cool that was. Right. I mean, Joel Silver, bless him, brought in the Jeff Healy band. You know, of course, I think uh, you know Patrick knew of them too. Yeah, and his wife and everything. But they brought in the Jeff Healy band. I'd never seen before. Okay. First time I, the first time I'd ever seen him. And I mean, during lunch, everybody go get lunch. Jeff Healy band would go eat their lunch and they'd go up get their instruments on. And what they allowed him to do, and they did it every day. We came back 15 minutes of music. Wow. They would just sit in there and play for 15 minutes oh. every day. And I can guarantee you that nobody, nobody went to the truck unless it was an absolute emergency that they had to have a party or something. But everybody came in after lunch and, or we sat around and they played. And I mean, they rocked the house every single day. And to be a part of that, I mean, it was great. I mean, they had a chair set up and some people had to go to makeup. Makeup was doing makeup while they were playing because they wanted to be for the music. That's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. And what I love about the movie itself is that the band literally never stops playing. It doesn't matter what's happening in the bar. No. Who's getting thrown into what? Who's like? There's blood everywhere, and there's like bottles, bottles bouncing, bouncing. <laughs> and they never stop. There's never a record scratch. There's never a whoa. Maybe we should get okay. No, just keep playing. The Titanic go down with it. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty, you know, people, I'm glad you saw that. I'm glad you saw that because a lot of people missed that point. Mm. They would say, yeah, there was a lot of music, but they forget that those guys played through everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> you can have a riot going on and they'll play. They don't give a dang what's going on. I mean, if somebody's in a, if they're in the middle of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And they, you know, they, they started, once they start playing, they play. Of course, they would stop it when they'd say cut, you know. Of course. <laughs> but at 15, 15 minutes, they just, uh, Jeff would get up there and he said, anybody got any anything they want to hear or do you just want to let us rock? I said, let them rock. Wow, that is so and cool. And they just, they did it every day. It was wonderful. Wow. That's got to be a, such a unique experience. It was. It was. There was a, a lot of people came to set, you know, to, obviously grab a meal because Tony's was doing it. You know, Tony was doing the food and the food was excellent. And, um, but they knew the music was going to be there or their friends. So they just show up. People come in, you know, I'm not working today. What are you going to do? I'm going to eat and listen to music. Yeah. You know, watch a few <laughs> scenes and go home. So you, you can't beat that. I don't think anything's ever been like that before. Uh, there's there's Never a couple of movies that come to mind in the future that are similar in, in having a, a live band playing music while the chaos is going on. 
clearly an homage to Roadhouse. I think I think that's called reimagined, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. the, new, the new Roadhouse is called. And I, I look, I I wish him well. I really do. I wish him well. I, it's it's you know when they first came out, it was what was it? They were doing Roadhouse and everything. No, yeah. no, you're not doing Roadhouse. And then we're going to do a, a takeoff of Roadhouse. No, you're not doing that. <laughs> then they say, we're doing a reimagined Roadhouse. And everybody went, okay. Yeah, right. Tell me what you got. So yeah. they've got some excellent actors in there. I mean, they really do. Well, you you can roll back to Roadhouse too, And someone excellent in that film being Richard Norton was in Roadhouse too. That's the only highlight of that film. He was in Roadhouse too, and he made the dang movie. I totally agree. He made the movie. Yep. Because the rest of it, I can't go there. Interesting. No. <laughs> I, I would like you to go, though, to a place of uh, reflecting on t working with Terry Funk in that film, because uh, we are, I, I unabashedly am a huge wrestling fan, especially Texas wrestling. Uh, Paul London is a, is a buddy of ours, and he, he and I do a wrestling show as well. And, uh, and Terry Funk, obviously, you know, he's he's got uh, he's he's mean, mean old bastard in that as well. Uh, working with Terry Funk. How was that? Besides the fact that he's a big, strapping, tough look, mean. He's got one of the softest voices you ever heard when he gets into his talking voice. He sure does. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> Terry, why do you sit there and go to Japan and get blown up with dynamite? Crowd, I was well. I got to take care of my babies. I got babies at home. I got to take care of the babies. Okay, Terry. Terry just Terry's like my wife, Lindy, who's in the next room here, but she is a huge, huge wrestling fan. Oh, okay. She was brought. Her dad brought her up through Haystack Calhoun. All these great wrestlers. Uh, you know, pick one. The Von Erichs, perhaps. <laughs> What's the one you like so much, Boo? Yeah, Superfly Snook. Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Jump yeah. off the thing and boom, bash you like it. Well, that is that is like she got she <laughs> she's done that on me a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was snoring or something, and she goes whap right here. Not the throat. You can share with her that my uh, that my mom's PE coach growing up in Detroit was George the Animal Steel. And he would go and he would wrestle at night, but he would also be a PE coach during the day. Did you hear that, Pooh? That is, that is <laughs> cool. She's like, that's awesome. Right. So, um, so obviously, yeah, Terry Funk, you know, is a Texas legend. Um, and then, you know, working with Ben Gazzara, you're working with quite possibly Masters. a masterful actor. Did you pick up techniques with him or like, did he take you under his wing as a mentor? Because he's like your father figure in that as well. Well, he, I looked at him, uh, had to look, I looked upon him as my father figure because he got me, you know, when I got out of prison, he knew I was in there and that kind of thing. So I watched him for about three days. I didn't go up and introduce myself to him or anything. I he didn't know who I was or anything else. I stayed off and I just watched him for three days. Watched him get on the set, you know, the old Hollywood Make up this. I need this. Get this. Not bad. You know, I I need a drink. I need I need something here. <laughs> and he's doing this off and on. And I was watching people. You know, these young PAs. You know, and they were, oh yes, sir. And they'll get it. I went over and I said, if he if he keeps that up, he's going to drive them nuts. Right. So I went up to him and I said, hey boss, 
I'm Jimmy. I'm here to take care of you. And that's, let me know, why are you sitting out here in the sun? Love <laughs> chair needs to be under the tree. So do you mind if I move your chair back under the tree? Stay in the shade, stay out of the sun. You're going to bake. Now, what do you got to drink here? You don't have anything to drink. What do you want? You don't go to these, you don't go to these little worms. You come to me. You need something, you say, Jimmy, and I'll get it. So that was my way of introducing myself to him. Love it. I, awesome. I, I never told him my name was Marshall. He finally looked it up. He came up to me and said, your name's not Jimmy. <laughs> I said, you're right, sir. It's not. But there was no reason for you to, right. not to call me Jimmy. That's fantastic. He says, I like it. I like it. We're going to keep it. <laughs> he would drag me in from all over the place. You know, Jimmy, come over. Jimmy! You know, it was always Jimmy. <laughs> So it, it made the show move and it, it gave it life. Yeah, no doubt. Gave him life. And he's brilliant. He is truly brilliant. Yep. Really but, is. But uh, a super nice guy. For years after the show was over, I'd run into him or I'd see him at a grocery store. They'd say, Jimmy, how you doing? <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> you, you just can't, you just can't. You can't buy that. You can't buy that relationship. No, you, you and you, but you were the one who made it happen, though. You made that I, happen. I watched him. Yeah. I watched him. I watched where he was insecure. And you find people that shout at people and say this and that because they are insecure. When you put yourself and you stand in front of me, you look at him and you, you look at him and say, Boss, I'm Jimmy. And why are you sitting in the sun? Hmm. Well, I was, this is, this is where my, see, no, you didn't, you didn't ask me. You need to get over here in the shade. So I need to get you out of the sun. I don't know what you're baking in the sun, boss. What do you want to drink? Have you had lunch? You want something to eat? So I said, I'll be here. You need something. I'm going to be here. All you have to do is say, Jimmy. He never talked to another PA that entire film. Wow. Not one time did he ever talk to a PA. He would come, he would come to me and say, "Marshall, I got to get to makeup." I said, "Well, come on, let's go." Marshall, can you pick my dog up? It's a very and, unique relationship. And, uh, can you get my dry cleaning? <laughs> whatever is, uh, he wanted. Ready, Jimmy. Uh, but when it came to the movie, it was whatever he wanted. But he knew. He finally figured out what I was doing. Didn't take him long, really. <laughs> but he understood, he understood what I was doing and why I was doing. it. And he just went right along with it. You know, he just, that's, that's something that, that, you know, they, they would call me to the set, whether I was working or not, if he was working, because I would be next to him. And that's the way it worked. Did you get that factored into your salary too? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, that was, that was pretty young in my career at that time, you know, and, but you were, well, I wouldn't say it was young in my career, but yeah. I mean, I think that's the point I was trying to make when we first opened up the interview is that you, you know, up until 89 or 88, when you filmed that, uh, you, your body of work was impressive. It continues to be impressive. Like your, your career that we've often said this to many actors on our show, uh, that it's such a short, it's such a finite possibility of getting to be on screen, the chances of that happening. And when you have that, whether it's one role or 250. The fact that you have this work that is forever on tape, on DVD, Blu-ray, digital, whatever. 
How special is that? That is uh, remarkable. Hats off to you, man. That's that's no, that's you put it as you put it as well as I've tried to explain that to people in different venues or, or you know, interviews. And for the most part, most people don't get it. No, they don't get it. And I say I have been I've said that before. You heard me say I'm blessed. I am blessed because people go. I mean, you have no idea how many people come there every day to get a job. Right. And some of them get jobs because they've got great bodies and they don't mind taking their clothes off and doing whatever. But after that show's over or two shows is up, that's it. You won't see them again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You ask, where's so-and-so? The one that did the, the thing about Bob over here. And they go, who was that? I've never been, a, I've, I, I, I never, I've never been a, I've never been an A actor, you know. I, I'm not. I'm not classified as an A, a class actor, but I'm an actor that they bring on all the time. Why? They bring me on to do something because they know that once I get locked to that A actor, he and I are going to bond, and his work is going to go sky high. Yeah. Because I'm going to make him go there. Chuck did that. He did it because he said, "I'm a." He said, "I'm a movie star." That man is an actor. Mm. And a damn good one. Mm. I said, when he comes on, he makes me step up my game. And, uh, you know, which is a hell of a compliment. Yeah. And I've gotten that from a lot of people. And it's, to me, I look at it when they say it, I take it with the utmost gratitude. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, when somebody says, it's because of you, my, my work was so good on that. Wow. You helped me get there. Yeah. It shows that you're a team player. You know, you, you're looking at the, the the movie as a whole as opposed to your own personal ego, you know? Well, I mean, ego is, is it's an overused euphemism. Yes, yes. I work on my ego to keep it up. They do this and they keep doing it. And it's kind of like, let it slide, dude. Yeah. You get on that set, you look the man in the eye, plant your feet, find your set, and tell him the truth. Get off your dead butt and tell the man the truth and mean it. Yeah. And I promise you, he's going to come back with. It. And it, it it has happened forever and a day. It really has. And I, that's why I say, again, I'm blessed. They've helped me immensely. I mean, do I steal from them? Absolutely. If you're going to if you're going to take something that another actor does and does well, make sure he's the best. And when you take it use it in that manner and you know you can you know you can say whatever you want to say but yeah I, I borrowed from this actor I borrowed from that actor you know and yes and it, it meant something it was that special so all in all I mean it, it, I can't complain I don't think most actors can complain no they say they never the interesting thing if you ever get one say, no I never stole a line from anybody I know, come on. <laughs> they are so full of. I want to hear someone say, "I stole your tights when you were puck." <laughs> oh, hang them up. Marshall's tight. We had a guest on the show uh, about a year ago, and it's like you know, you spent more time talking about my music career than my acting career. And I said, "Well, because we want to know it all." And and I think you know, w with you in particular, Marshall, we want to know it all. Like, 
it's not just about those amazing roles you've had, but who you are as a person. And clearly, you know, we, you painted a picture of yourself on our show that gives us this impression. It's fantastic. I love it. Good. Thank you. Yeah, I did it. I did an album, by the way. Well, I want to get to never, that. Never, I want to. I, I never put it out there. Wait, well, but I did. You never. I did an album. You never. You finished the album, but you never put it out there. Yeah. Is it available to listen to? <laughs> no, no. I've got the tape of it. I've just never, never. I gave it to people to listen to some songs because I couldn't. I didn't have what it takes to go out and put a band together and go out and go on the road. Yeah, yeah. I cannot play an instrument. My hands are kind of that's as straight as they get, you okay. know, so it's just that kind of way. But I, I just wrote these songs and I did it for years. And I had my friends uh, uh, that listened to it and they said, you got to record this. I said, why? He said, because all you do is you see them, they're beautiful songs. But no. Record them. I said, okay. Well, I ended up going to the castle. You ever heard of the castle in Nashville? Well, it's, it's a building what used to be, used to be a gangster place back in the 1930s or something like that where gangsters used to go there to cool out and they owned this building and they turned it eventually turned it into a soundstage and we went there we, we recorded part of it in, in LA and then went to Nashville to finish it and I did it and uh, wow. you know so when people say have you ever done any music I can look at them and say as a matter of fact I have yeah I got I got uh, yeah I think I will okay. you know it's uh, Tim Schmidt from the Eagles. What? Henry Paul. Henry Paul from the Outlaws. Em, Emmy Lou Harris came in and sang with me. Yes. All the uh, Henry Gross. He had a song called Shannon. He came out. How and long had several ago was this? Yeah. Why he came it? in and played with me. Everybody came in. Come what? on now. Right after Firebird. <laughs> right after Firebird. Nineteen ninety one. You got to get it out there. Well, it needs a lot of work. It was done on a four track. I mean, when we went to Nashville uh, to the castle, you know, they put it on a big board where they had, I think it was 48, 48 switchers and they kind of cleaned okay. it up, but it was what I, what they'd have to do now is to really go back and re-record it. And, you know, and I, I, I sang them, mm. I sang the songs. I sang all of them. Emmy Lou Harris came in and sang oh, man. the one I wrote for the, it's called part of the healing. And it's a song about uh, soldiers, uh, soldiers going overseas, you know, and uh, that was for them. And then a song I wrote uh, called BC Ferry. Wow. And that was a song about my time up in Canada doing a show yeah. and a trip on the BC Ferry going over to the island to have high oh, tea. Marshall, you got to you got to get it. So it was it was different People songs. You got to do it. Come on about now. Tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, drop what you're doing. Do one it tonight. That's yeah. how you do it. That's how you get it done. Well, pitch that tent on the on the lawn of the releasing of the lawn of your mind. Well, there's get nothing it done. like that. You just rip the throat out. <laughs> the lawn of your mind. I like that. Well, I got to get my book finished first. I'm writing a book right now, so I finished that, and I've got a couple of scripts that got out there trying to sell them right now, and I got a book that I'm writing. It's like okay. kind of a sci-fi thriller, and I've, oh, cool. and I've got about 185 pages written right now. So I've got a, I'm writing that book, and it, it's you know it'll be out hopefully in next year or so. Do you have any uh, sci-fi uh, influences that that you really oh. enjoy? I dig sci-fi, man. You know, you got to know that when you play Talon, 
with a sword on your yeah. back with not on, you know, no blasters. You know, and they said, yeah. what kind of weapon would you like to use? I said, the sword. The sword <laughs> you gave me on the episode you brought me in on. I said, not that sword, but I will make a sword that will be his sword. And he said, you want to carry a sword? I said, absolutely. And that's the one thing about Talon that people know that I did the series Babylon 5, but that's the one character they know. Right. They know Talon. He wasn't in it a lot, but when he was there, they knew it. So, you know, that, I mean, I, I did a lot of them. I did Star Trek. You know, I played a couple of creatures on that. One was a dinosaur and the other one was a, I forgot what they call them. Looked like a rhino, but, you know, but I, I played a couple of characters in that and that was a blast to do and just sci-fi in general. I, I really enjoy it. I mean, Babylon five created by J Michael Straczynski. I mean, he is a oh. legend. Uh, you know, he was the showrunner on real Ghostbusters, Zach and everything. He's just, he wrote, he wrote comic books and stuff. Um, yeah. He, I mean, he's a legend and, and Babylon five is one of the greatest. All the time. I mean, you know, he writes constantly. Yeah, yeah. He never stopped yeah. writing. He wrote almost every episode he and another guy wrote almost every episode of Babylon Five. Did you were you able to actually like pick his his brain and everything on on set? Oh well, I mean, when we did the first one, you know, back in Rome, we fought with swords and that kind of stuff. And uh, he said, you know, this just first of all, you're my friend, and two, it's a shame for this character not to come back somehow. So they arranged it. We went and talked to. Uh, Straczynski and you know and we talked about him and he said well what kind of I mean how do you see him I said I see him as an old samurai he's a very because you don't really know mm. how old Narn really are you know they have some blasting red eyes but you don't really know how old they are so he, I said I want a sword he said well I don't really have I can probably find him. I said no 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 I'll make the sword I'll have the sword made. I said, just, I'll make the sword. He said, you make the sword, I'll create the character. Deal. And then Talon was born. But Straczynski's very smart when it comes to that. I mean, it wasn't the first episode that I did that. I did the actual first episode of Babylon 5, and it was called Infection. And it was, uh, I don't know what he was. He was kind of an autonomous machine he turned into that from the <clears throat> some artifacts that we you know stole from a planet one connected to my chest and turned me into this thing hmm. you know so that was kind of cool yeah but it wasn't you don't want to do every episode spending four and a half hours getting into a, a big 72 pound suit <laughs> right yes yeah i mean talking <laughs> yes. about you were talking about uh, morphing uh on screen earlier with uh you know, being a werewolf, yeah. wearing physical makeup is a whole other story. And the amount of time it takes to put that on and the process and the hours for it to look good, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, on, on Babylon 5, I would go in at roughly 3 o'clock in the morning. They would let, you know, makeup artists, the, the early shift. Yeah. Go home, go to bed. Because they had to be there at 3 to start to put this stuff on me for a seven o'clock shoot. So I was ready to shoot at seven o'clock. And uh, first couple of days were a little rough. They didn't know about a cool suit. 
and they didn't know how much it was going, how, what the temperature mm -hmm. was going to be inside. I mean, it got hot, trust me. I mean, they had to punch holes in my boots to let the water run out. Oh, I was in those, I was in that suit oh. on the average of eight and a half hours a day. Oh, and you probably lost. How, how much weight yeah. did you, how much weight did you lose during that time period? Oh, 11, 12 pounds a day. Oh, gosh. That sounds about, yeah. Wow. Wow. 11, 12 pounds a day. I mean, I'd put, I'd eat, don't get me wrong, I'd eat and I'd drink, but you never had to go to the, the restroom because you didn't, nothing ever got to the black. <laughs> yeah, right. right. space suit, yeah. practically. You sweated this stuff off so fast, it wasn't even funny. Wow. But it was, it was, it was another, it was a hoot. I mean, I did the first full body. Here's another first. I, I hate saying this, you know, oh. did the first full body cast to make this character. Wow. I never thought I would say that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's not, that. it's not like you're claiming that you were the first to utter a certain line in a movie, like you were talking about earlier. So <laughs> you never stole any lines or something. <laughs> no, I never stole any lines at all. No. <laughs> It's okay to claim first on some things. I mean, I've got I've got moves that I did in Roadhouse. You know the thing with the hand, you know, or spin the stick and go. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's the first time that had ever kind of been put together, and everybody's watched Roadhouse. And I mean, uh, the the Rock. I mean, who's you know I call him the Rock Johnson. Sorry, Dwayne. Yeah, yeah. Dwayne's a nut for Roadhouse. He watched it all through college, and on his show, what does he do? Come on, yeah. right? Bring it, <laughs> and, bring it. Yep. And a lot of other people have used it, you know. And but it's just having that move or thing that you do that nobody else has done, and it means that much that you know people hook into it. Right. So when you see somebody else do it, my wife always he stole your move. I said no, he did not. He borrowed it. <laughs> <laughs> borrowed it. I love it. You can't steal it. You got to borrow it everybody's borrowing things yeah this has been absolutely amazing seriously absolutely amazing thank you well, I'm, I'm, it was amazing for me too because i didn't know what i was walking into i know you never didn't. do <laughs> what you do, guys do is amazing i have enjoyed every single minute of it and i mean that from my heart uh you're professional you're funny you're great and you got good character all of you god bless you Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you, Marshall. Thank you, sir. Uh, Thank you. That's wow. That just wow. That just that made our day. Um, well, it makes mine. You guys made my day. Um, Marshall, I hope that we get a chance to meet each other in person down the road one of these days. That would be a hoot. And uh, that would be an absolute hoot. Thank you so much, Please Marshall. Please do. Thank you, guys. Again, thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for your service, sir. You're more than welcome for all of it. My pleasure. Hi, Duke. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. 
We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.